You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. This is Locked On Hornets presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. You can check us all out on Twitter. I'm at Walker Mail, Nada the Scribe, and Doug Branson, LOH. You can find the show handle on most social media platforms. That's at Locked On Hornets. You can find Rick, our next guest, always on a Tuesday, at Rick underscore Bennell. And Rick, we appreciate you hopping on with us once again. How are you? I'm I'm okay. I'm a little under the weather, but uh, getting by. Oh no, that's not a good week for you to be under the weather, Rick. Right? I mean, how how hellacious yeah, is this week going to be? Unfortunately, I think that's kind of a cause and effect because <laughs> what I'm saying is between the trade deadline and All Star Week, um, I think I've been spread so thin. This is my body's way of telling me you can't keep running into the ground. How enjoyable is the All Star break for you, Rick? I wish I had one this year, <laughs> but you know it's in your town and it's a big deal, and you know, and, you, and I and I look positively at covering it. Um, I will tell you this: uh, the players really, you know, when when the NBA came up with this idea of extending the All Star break, and part of that I think was an, an acknowledgement that if the same players, if, if if so many players, you know, every single year had an obligation to be at at, at the All Star weekend that they weren't really getting any sort of a break. So I thought that, in combination with the fact that Adam Silver went to war on things like four games and five nights, um, that's just common sense. I mean, you know, Walker, you and I have talked about how the macro of this situation is this is one of those rare industries where the your employers, employees are also your product. And so keeping these guys healthy and rested is a big deal. They need breaks. Um, this is draining. Uh, no matter how much money they make, that doesn't mean they don't get tired. Right. And so the All-Star break is very important to these guys. And, Rick, you've mentioned how important it's going to be. I mean, how different is this going to be compared to what it was in 91, 92, 25 years ago when that All-Star weekend was here in Charlotte all that time ago? This is an entirely different experience than it was in 1991 when it was here. I mean, you know, you hear those stories about – you know the first few Super Bowls and how they they didn't they, the tickets didn't sell out and how you know the quote media day was you know going out to the pool um, at the team hotel in Miami and hanging hanging out next to uh, uh, Joe Namath as he sunbathed. Um, this is very very different now. Um, every ticket for Saturday and Sunday is is committed. It's basically a sponsor event. The benefit to the city that hosts it is you sell, you know, you rent out a whole lot of hotel rooms and you have full restaurants and that, that helps pay for the infrastructure that is these arenas. Um, but it's massive and it's international. And, um, uh, I don't mean to sound like get off my lawn guy, but I wish the NBA was a little more selective in who they gave media credentials to because you get into that weird stuff that, you know, you hear about it at, you know, at Super Bowl media days where, you know, MTV, you know, MTV kind of people and, you know, are, are, are all over the place pulling silly stunts. And 
it's very hard to basically get your work done when you need to talk to these players. Well, Mitch Kupchak at the trade deadline, with both of these things being back-to-back, he did not decide to go after another former All-Star, and most likely it was going to be Marcus All, who has, I believe, about uh, he's got a few under his belt. He had a conference call with the media following the NBA trade deadline, and again, he decides not to get a legitimate second-best option behind Kemba Walker. He acknowledges in that conference call how hard it is to try to dictate who the actual second-best player is on this team. What did you make of that comment from Mitch Kupchak? You know, Walker, the key word in your question is acknowledge. Um, I find Mitch to be a straight shooter. I wish he would talk to the media on a more regular and more casual basis, but that's just him. He likes to do, you know, uh, conference calls. Uh, when he talks, he's there. I find him open. I find him very willing to answer any question. Um, and I found it kind of interesting. Um, even if it's obvious that this is true, I found it interesting the extent to which he he discussed it publicly. That uh, you know, basically, what's wrong with his team is while they have a whole lot of good players, there is no second or third best player who you know can be counted on at this point to carry a team if Kemba isn't you know perfectly Kemba every day. Um, you know, you can do a whole lot of translating if you want to to that, but the way I translated it is. You know that they that they were acknowledging that Kemba is right now carrying an unreasonable burden, and that they need to do something about that. Uh, I'm not particularly surprised that the trade deadline did not end up being the time to do that. Uh, it's my experience, and I'm not making excuses for them. I'm just telling you the reality of the NBA calendar. Usually, mega deals are much more likely to get done in the offseason, particularly around the draft or the start of free agency than it is during the trade deadline. The things that you have to do to balance salaries, um, you know, that you know, that sort of stuff when you're in the middle of a season and almost every team in the league is already capped out, makes it very difficult to make really big, impactful trades at the deadline. The Porzingis trade to Dallas was the outlier. It's not it's not normally the kind of deal that you see in February. It's the kind of deal you usually see in June or July. Well, and you mentioned Mitch's comments on trying to acknowledge who the best second uh, player or the second best player is on this roster. Rick, I felt like we heard that a lot with Steve Clifford about, you know, you have to show up every single night. Then he would be adamant about them not having enough talent to go out there and just show up for a night and have enough talent to actually win, how you had to buy into defense. Mitch Kupchak, Acknowledging here, again, it's hard to find somebody outside of Kimball Walker who you can rely on as the second-best player. Do players hear that? Is there any kind of level of offense taken by some of the players? Maybe not a Marvin, who's a veteran. Just Is there any kind of level of offense taken? Well, first of all, they don't have any right to be offended by that. Because <laughs> That's true. There's nothing about that that's unreasonable. It's, um, you know, but, but, I mean, you know, Walker, you know, when you say that, um, you know, my gosh, uh, you know, look at your, you know, if, if, if anybody would have a problem with that, look in the mirror. You know what I'm saying is, uh, you know, whether it's, whether it's Malik, whether it's Miles Bridges, whether it's whoever, um, you want to, you know, you want to be the, the, um, the, the number two on the mountain? Well, go demonstrate that you can do that for five or six games in a row. Um, and I'm not... I don't mean that as a as a shot at those guys. You know, they're still in you know they're still on the learning curve, but they're not ready to be that guy yet. And and I think last night's performance against Indiana was an illustration of that. Um, you know, I find it interesting. You know, as as many things that are different around here with Borrego than they you know than they were from Clifford. I'll tell you one thing that is exactly the same 
which is both of these guys have made the exact same assessment on the on the uh, the collective strength of this roster, which is they both say they both say all the time that the margin for error of this team is tiny. There's a reason for that. They're just not talented enough not to play not to play perfectly every night. So the move that they do make, not at the deadline, but they do bring in Shelvin Mack. Rick, I know some people are concerned about the Tony Parker injury, and I know some people don't want Shelvin Mack to take away any minutes from a Devontae Graham. How did you like the move bringing in Shelvin Mack? It was a little thing. It wasn't something to get all agitated about. I know that, you know, since nothing else was going on and since they used a roster spot on it, I understand why it got attention. That You know, that's perfectly appropriate. But, but my point is, that that to me is one of those moves you make because Tony's 36, Tony's been injured twice already. Um, you do not want to hand the keys to the car for 20, 25 minutes a night to Devonnie Graham in a in a worst case scenario right now in a in, in a in a playoff chase. Uh, and so it makes perfect sense to me if you happen to have an an, an open roster spot that's been sitting there for a couple of months. And you have somebody who becomes available, who, by the way, you don't have to do anything to get. You know what I'm saying? Is uh, people, understandably, the fans talk a lot about how they had a pro- they would have a problem with the Hornets giving up a, a pick or a young player to do something, unless that was a really you know unless that was a, 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 a bang of a move. Well, you know they didn't have to give up anything to get Shel- Shelvin Mack, and he offers some some experience and some. Some health insurance against Tony, and you know he can also he's also kind of you know solid and rugged enough that I think he could play a little two guard in in a pinch. Um, so what I'm getting at is I don't think it's a big deal, but I don't I, I I certainly didn't see it as well. That's a dumb thing to do. I think it's I think it was a you know it was it was a smart little deal and nothing more than that. Bench performance not too good against the Indiana Pacers last night. You mentioned Tony Parker. He did not play. It does, we don't know exactly when he's going to be back, although he hasn't been ruled out. Even last night, he was questionable heading in. But again, Tony Parker doesn't play, and you can see how much the bench suffers because of it. You saw all that bench production go down the drain without Tony Parker, and you've seen it frequently, Rick. I mean, are they just way too entirely reliant on Tony Parker? Uh, you know, the other day Malik was talking at a shoot-around, and I asked him, I said, why do you think the bench is so much better this season than last? And I thought it was, it was, uh, it was impressively self-aware that Malik said, Tony Parker, and that's it. That is the reason our bench is so much better this season. And I thought that was, it was healthy that, that all those people understand that, you know, Tony is just, has been exceptional here. Um, unfortunately, you know, it, it, it's kind of sad for Michael Carter-Williams because it, it, it exposes you know, the incredible extent to which they were just awful at point guard before Tony's arrival. I mean, the backup point guard. I mean, it was it was gruesome. <laughs> so, you know, Tony might have had a fairly low bar to, uh, to reach, but boy, he has exceeded that bar by a mile. And so Mitch Kupchak does bring him in. Last question, Rick. I mean, he brings in Tony Parker, who has been just absolutely phenomenal, and even Mitch has acknowledged that Tony gave them more than they even expected, bringing him into this roster. You look at some of the other moves, it's certainly an incomplete grade on what you've seen from Mitch Kupchak so far. We were only talking about half of a season, and I get that. But just in his little time here with the Charlotte Hornets, what do you think about the job that Mitch Kupchak has done so far? I think he had a really, really good draft. Um, You know, Bridges and and Graham are keepers, and when's the last time that we looked at anybody, anybody who they uh, acquired in the second round and said, oh, boy, that guy's certainly a keeper. 
Um, you know, Mitch is very meticulous. And, and, and one thing that I think that we need to keep in mind about Mitch's experience with the Lakers, he was used to the challenge of finding people outside the top 20 picks in the draft. And obviously I think that was an indication that, he, you know, that, that, that he's good at that with the Devontae Graham thing. That's Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer joining us here on the Locked on Hornets podcast. Again, you can find him on Twitter at Rick underscore Bennell. Rick, thanks so much for joining us as you do every week. We always appreciate it. Thanks very much, Walker. Talk to you later. All right, we'll talk to you once again. Again, every Tuesday, we have Rick Bennell here on the Locked on Hornets podcast. Up next, we'll talk a little bit more about the game last night after the Indiana Pacers lost. How can the Hornets bounce back just three games before you enter a gauntlet into the next part of the season? It's LOH here on the Locked on Podcast Network. This is Locked on Hornets. And just that I showed any kind of vulnerability, well, you, yeah, you I just, think not is just going to jump You are the gazelle limping through the African <laughs> safari. I'm in the mud. Yeah. I'm, in, I'm in some sticky yeah, mud. You are the hippo stuck in the mud. <laughs> yes, yes. And I'm about to just get destroyed by Nas. Or by Nas. <laughs> by Nas. By Nas. <laughs> He's going to come out with me a rap battle. <laughs> it's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. giving you daily Hornets talk in your podcast feed. We need you to show your support by joining our Patreon page. For as little as $1 a month, you'll be supporting the content that you depend on. Go to patreon.com slash LOH. Again, that's patreon.com slash LOH. I had a chance to talk with Bobby Marks of ESPN. Salary cap extraordinaire today on the wake-up call. And we've got some sound here for you today from getting to talk with him earlier. A few questions I ask him about the Charlotte Hornets. The first sound I want to get to real quickly is Bobby's reaction to a deal not going down between the Hornets and the Grizzlies. Well, I think it might have been just some, you know, somebody in the media maybe jumped the gun a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I think that's probably where I think it was reported that there was a framework of a deal, and I think it was a little bit of a head of where maybe we, in reality, where the situation was. I think in the, in the Barnes situation, um, you saw the value of expiring contracts um, that. Um, that uh, Sacramento had, that other teams around the league had, and and Charlotte didn't have them. I mean, no, there was not an appeal for um, Biombo, um, uh, Cody Zeller, Batum, guys like that. Um, and there was there was an appeal. Dallas was looking to clear cap space for the summer of 2019, and they weren't looking to take back take back money. Uh, as far as with with Mark, I mean, I think the the, the um, the reality is that he was going to get moved by the, the deadline. I, I thought there was a, you know, a couple places, you know, either Charlotte, maybe Detroit. Eventually, he was moved to Toronto. So, yeah, I don't. I never really thought there was a deal on place with Charlotte. That was that was, you know, at, at the five yard line here. I, I just, you know, I, I didn't. I didn't see what the what made sense for for Memphis's perspective, unless you know um, the Hornets were willing to give up a, a, a you know first round pick here. So. Um, it's hard to do, you know, everyone wants to make trades and make upgrades at the deadline or, you know, even in the offseason. But when you're kind of left with a, you know, um, not a full hand, um, you're not really, you know, besides Kemba and, you know, and, and Jeremy Lamb. And if you want to move you know, one of your two young players, and from what I know, they, you know, Malik Monk was not um, on the table in any discussions. You don't really have, um, you don't really have many assets there. So that's the first take I feel like we've heard where there wasn't an NBA pundit that wasn't surprised. Most people have been surprised. And 
Do we have a Shams beef with Bobby March right now? Bobby, Shams Sherania is the guy that came out first and said that they were in strong talks. How about Bobby March coming in with the stomp down on Shams Sherania, his former colleague? Look, here, here's the thing. I, I kind of understand where Bobby is coming from because I was there that night. I thought there was something that was going down, and it turned out to be a whole lot of nothing. So I got beef with Shams, too. <laughs> I have beef with Shams. If you have beef with Shams, Bobby has beef with Shams. We all have beef with Shams. Exactly. He's become our enemy. We no longer wish to see any of the reports. I'm not following him. I'm unfollowing him. I'm following like, like the enemy of the of the enemy is my friend or something along the lines of that. I've butchered this horribly. Let's just go to the next segment. Bobby was the only guy that seemed to not be surprised because every time, and we, we may can say it now, but everybody expected a deal, at least from what I saw. Yeah. As far as all of Hornets Twitter, all of, uh, there was a lot of other. You know, ask Keith Smith. He said he was surprised. Usually, when you go that far, usually a deal gets done. You know, you ask other NBA personalities. It seemed like most people thought it was going to get done. It except for Bobby, who said maybe there was an early report that just wasn't as accurate with the framework of this deal. Agreed. And, and so now you have Marcus All playing with the Toronto Hornets. And then he mentioned the, the Toronto Hornets, the Toronto Raptors, excuse me, not playing for the Charlotte Hornets. Again, I'm, just I'm stab me the in the heart. Stab me <laughs> in the heart some more because they needed Marcus all last night. I, I apologize. I, they did need Marcus all last night. They needed somebody to stand up and score efficiently. Not the Toronto Hornets. I'm not trying to move the team again, guys. I don't want to become everybody else's enemy. The Toronto Raptors. Now Marcus all plays for the Toronto Raptors. But then you hear Bobby Marks continue to go on and just discuss how it wasn't really feasible for the Dallas Mavericks to take on anything that the Hornets had to offer. And I think we've all been kind of accepting of that. I, yeah. I feel like, you know, you wonder how much they were really in the running to make a better offer than what the Kings did. Cause Justin Jackson, a younger piece. If the Mavericks don't want to take on salary, Justin Jackson, I feel like can be a decent three and D player in this league. He's the kind of guy that has enough upside to be useful. And I don't know what you're sending from the Hornets to beat out at least just the Justin Jackson, unless it's a first round pick, uh, unless it's a first round pick and, or someone that could possibly fit in with a guy like Luka Doncic guy like Nick Batum, which if they took that deal for it, if they took that deal, then, hey, look, I'm Which, all for it. Well, of course we're all for it. Of course you're making that deal if you're the Charlotte Hornets, but don't know why the Dallas Mavericks would want to Oh, no, they'd be dumb to do that. Sure. So it makes more sense there. I just thought that was interesting. That's a different take. You haven't heard that one before, at least none that I've heard from anybody else on Twitter or anything else where I've heard that, hey, this is just uh, this is a deal that I never really thought was even that close to getting done. He mentioned that not really this is not something that was on the five yard line, and that there was maybe some inaccurate reporting in the early stages of a, of a, any kind of framework between a negotiation here. So I thought that was interesting. Thought it was in. We don't like shams anymore. That's what we've gotten. From yeah, that. yeah. That's what we've basically <laughs> just gleaned from that. I don't think we've talked enough either about Jeremy Lamb staying put, even though Mitch Kupchak had trouble trying to find the second best guy on the team. Remember, we had the conference call. We heard and saw Mitch Kupchak's comments about who the second best player is on this team. He made the comment how the Hornets have a bunch of good players, but not any great players. And yes. you heard me talk about that exact thing with Rick Bennell just a segment ago. So even though he acknowledges Lamb as the second best guy on the team, it really means he's the best second score. And but he's on an expiring deal. And so where he could actually really help a team in that right role, maybe somebody could have pulled the trigger for him. And I think the Hornets are going to lose him 
I don't think he's going to be I, back. I'm pretty. Sh- I think it's it's a sure bet. It, that he's gone. It seems like he's going to be gone. So I asked Bobby on what happens now that Lamb wasn't traded at the NBA trade deadline. I mean, you're you're probably going to be in a luxury tax. So if you if you bring back Kemba, I mean, I think 11 out of the 14, or now you got Shelvin Mack. I think 11 out of the 15 players are under contract for next year. I think it's similar to what um, what Detroit was able to do with uh, with Reggie Bullock. You know, Reggie was one of their better players, but the likelihood is that they weren't going to be able to afford him in the offseason. They didn't want to pay, you know, eight to ten million dollars. They moved him, um, you know, at the deadline to the Lakers. They got a few. They got a second round pick, and then what happened was it created enough flexibility to friend the ground and get Wayne Ellington. So it was almost like an upgrade there. So yeah, I, I understand though, but you're you're in a playoff race and you're trying to get in and moving. Um, you know, unless there's a a plan B. It, I don't know if it made sense to move Jeremy, but yeah, I mean that's the reality. Is when you don't move these players who are on expirings and that are going to be costly, um, you know that's where you kind of get in a little bit of a little bit of trouble in your offseason. But yeah, that flexibility is not great. I mean, it's not good at all as far as you know until these until the Biombo, the Michael T. Gilchrist, the Cody Zellers, the um, Nick Batum contracts start to come off of, you know off the books here. This is kind of who your roster is unless. Unless next year, you know, next offseason, um, these players become more appealing because I said, you know, expiring contracts, you know, have uh, have value. I think that means you have to ask yourself this question. Mm -hmm. Is the playoff appearance and being as strong as you possibly can going for a playoff appearance with Jeremy Lamb on the roster? Is that more important than getting back even a couple second round picks or a second round pick and some young player that you're trying to go through a reclamation project with? Because I feel like that was the decision they had to make. There wasn't a first round offer that would be anywhere out there for Jeremy Lamb on an expiring deal. So the question is, is the playoff appearance going full strength with Jeremy Lamb on the roster? Is that more important to you? Most likely getting the seventh seed, getting the eight seed, getting beat handily in the first round where you're just hoping for a victory. Is that more important than getting any kind of assets like his example Bobby Mark's example like what Detroit did getting back second round pick for Reggie Bullock I think it's more important I think we got to realize that while the player side and the talent side is a big portion of this this is also a business and if you're going and granted you can't let the business overtake the talent side of things but at the same time you can't Again, this is a business, so you have to think, okay, it's worth it for... Appeasing to the fans is what you're meaning, right? Like Appeasing not- to the fans, appeasing to your, their pocketbooks as well. Now, granted, while they yes. made $22 million this year, that's not a guarantee going forward. And at least putting your best foot forward and at least competing, because not competing goes against everything this franchise has told us ever since they started signing Big Al, guys like Big Al and guys like Nick Batum. This franchise has always been about at least competing, not being the phoenixes of the world, which kind of matters. If you would have gotten Marcus all, I would have been fine getting rid of Jeremy Lamb because that makes a lot of sense. You yeah. bring in a second star and it opens up more minutes for Malik Monk, who you are trying to groom to be the future at shooting guard. If you don't move anybody at the deadline, which they didn't, if they're unable to get a Marcus all, mm-hmm. which they were unable to, they couldn't get another second star, then I'm not trading Jeremy Lamb. I'm not I'm not getting a second round pick. I'm fine with what they did with Jeremy sticking home, saying, you know what? He's going to be a part of the Charlotte Hornets for this season. We are going to try to get a playoff spot because you do have Kimba Walker. So yes. imagine what that says, right? Like you don't get Marcus all 
And I understand that people have a little bit of a tough time saying discussing within the framework of keeping Kimba. He already has decided, well, okay, I, I'm one of those people that thinks that there is a reality to the situation of, you know, Kimba would like to at least see Mitch Kupchak trying, right? I mean, there are there are things. Yeah, that there's he, things that, like, sure, he may have a half foot out the door, but at the same time, there's still th- – at least a foot and a half that's still in the door, and that matters. And you want to, and and you want to at least say to Kimba, if that is indeed your plan, it seems I am operating myself. I am operating. I am speaking as if that is their plan. And so, if that is the plan, and you don't get Marcus All, even though you were certainly at least rumored to be extremely interested, and one kind of deal was at least it, it certainly looked like it was going to get done, trading Jeremy Lamb for a second round pick or a couple of second-round picks, yeah. or one second-round pick and a reclamation project as a young player, I, I wouldn't have done that. I think getting the playoff spot is more important than getting that. And one last thing before we take a quick break, we'll have a short third segment, but I do want to get to this. I don't think we've talked enough about Jeremy Lamb. I said that already, but also just it's interesting to see how that affects of the effects of the overall state of the Charlotte Hornets. And I asked Bobby about that earlier today, and I asked him what can help them improve the most if the roster does indeed look like it's going going to be majority the same in 2019-2020. Well, I mean, you're kind of on a treadmill. You know, you're in that, you know, you're not you're not bad enough to be in the bottom and I think it's the being in the bottom there's no guarantee to, to get out of there. I mean, there's no guarantee that uh Cleveland or um you know, Atlanta, Phoenix, some of those other teams there, uh New York, um just because these teams have cap space that they they can go out and and you know, take a leap into the top six of the East Eastern Conference. I think is, I think where Charlotte is is that they need they need um, Malik Monk and Miles Bridges to develop quickly. <laughs> That's what they need, and that is where kind of the reinforcements are going to come for the for an upgrade to the roster and whatever they do in the, in the draft this year. Because if they don't, you know, there's, it's a situation where it's like Memphis, you know, where Memphis's players got older. And it exposed the front office because they had draft they had missed out on on the draft, and there was not there was not that next you know wave of players to kind of come up come up the system there. So you really need Malik and as I said Malik and Miles to to, to develop to develop into you know the the goal was for Malik Monk to be to take over Jeremy Lance um, spot in the um, you know when Jeremy became a free agent. And now I don't know if that's that that's the case. I mean you might have to be forced into that. I mean, the big thing that stuck out to me is for that, Bobby echoed something that I've probably been saying for a very long time when it comes to bottoming out this franchise. There is absolutely no guarantee that you are at that you're getting back. There's no guarantee of that. So that's why for everyone that says tank, trade, Kemba, the sat and the third, there are a lot of teams that haven't come back from that. And, and you look I at, think that matters. Sure. I, I completely agree with you. It's no guarantee. And so before you start to do that, I mean, it's, you know, the 76ers is the goal. In the recent years, the 76ers, that is the goal that you hope to attain yeah. if you decide to mortgage everything that you have in present time, even if that does mean mediocrity in the NBA. The one thing I took from that is just how important the development of Malik Monk and Miles Bridges is. Yeah. It's it's essential. And that's why that he was untouchable in any deal that you tried to make for Marcus All because you knew you could not mortgage the future. And it to a point and it's to a certain point where again, I've made my stance be known. I would have parted with a first round pick. I would have lightened the protection on a first round pick to get Marcus All, but it at least makes me respect Mitch Kupchak for not yeah. giving up on that. 
not allowing anybody else to swindle him and be able to take away any of the future assets that he has. And so now your future, you need Malik Monk to develop. We've seen that this year. Maybe not at an extremely consistent basis, but we're getting there, kind of. Like, there's reason for optimism. No, there, there's absolutely reason for optimism. He's shown you in a stretch of games right before the trade deadline that he's capable of more, much more than he, I think even he realizes and much more than this fan base realizes. And you just have to continue to pour into him, continue to pour into guys like him and Bridges, guys that both closed games recently before this stre- this bad stretch. Miles Bridges is giving you flashes too. Yeah. Uh, it looks like, look, I, I did not like the pick, and there's no doubt about it, but certainly uh, he's done some things that I did not expect from him, and uh, I think Miles Bridges has done a good job. And you just heard Rick say it right there. I, I do think this was a pretty good draft for – now we'll see about Shea. You know, that's it looks like a fantastic player out there with the Clippers. You know, he's had his ups and downs, but for the most part, he has looked very good. And that's when you trade a player – that's always going to be the comparison. You yeah. know, we'll see what Shea does. I still do like Shea a lot, but Miles Bridges has been a guy where you can look at Mitch's draft and think, okay, having Miles Bridges and Devontae Graham in the second round, man, I, I feel like you walk away leaving pretty pleased with that draft. And then more importantly, he gets to build on this draft despite what one may think of that. And more importantly, there's always the draft to add key assets with expire with soon to be expiring contracts so we don't know what's going to happen with the draft it may get really really interesting all right we'll talk about the indiana pacers game last night the bench was awful we'll talk about that more next on the locked on hornets podcast locked on podcast network this is locked on hornets i can't tell you on wax I will explain. <laughs> you got your sources? I have. Can you explain what on wax means? <laughs> Can't tell you on wax right now. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Indiana Pacers put a stomp in on the Charlotte Hornets last night. How about the Hornets failing to score 40 points in the first half? Good God. After scoring over 70 in the first half against the Atlanta Hawks, not even scoring 40, accumulating 38 in the first half, eventually finishing with 90. Look, Indiana is one of the best teams in terms of defense efficiency in the league. Like they play a style that if you get up, if they get up 10, 15, 20 points, the game's basically over. I credit them for getting back into the game and playing some solid defense after the bench basically effectively bled points for a good portion of that game. Unfortunately, it just wasn't enough. And I mean, again, the Kaminsky's are happy. Like, they should be happy. They got some minutes. Frank Kaminsky got four minutes, missed both of the field goals that he took, only missed uh, the one three-point shot that he took in this game as well. But I was just like, you look at the different box scores and and the box scores, I should say, and what you get from each of these box scores, like with the Indiana Pacers Mm -hmm. and the Charlotte Hornets, it's always so different because Indiana, you get about five, six, seven guys that are going to get you double digits. Yeah. With the Hornets, you get Kemba Walker. 
You you look at the leading score every night for Indiana, and Victor Oladipo would most likely lead the team in scoring every time that he played. But even when he was healthy, you could see that they had a good mix of people that would overtake Victor Oladipo as the leading scorer of the night. And you have to go seven eight games in a row. It's Kimba, then Jeremy Lamb gets it. Seven eight games in a row, and then maybe you have a Malik Monk explosion or a Marvin Williams seven explosion. Seven or eight yeah. games in a row, maybe here's the Marvin game. It's it, the Pacers. They get 11, 14, 18, 13, all between four of their starters. Wesley Matthews comes in, hits two big three-pointers in the fourth quarter, and any kind of comeback attempt from the Charlotte Hornets. Three of the four quarters that the Charlotte Hornets played against the Pacers last night, they scored 19 points. Didn't break the 20-point barrier in three of the four quarters. And only did that in the third quarter because, basically... Indiana decided, let's make this a game again. Let's make this close. We're bored. The bench is way better with Indiana, and that's always been the case. Toronto, Indiana, they're mm-hmm. among the stronger benches, and DeMontis Sabonis is just a beast. There was consideration for an all-star game for Sabonis. He's been playing that well, and he's just destroying all of the second units out there. So when you look at the bench comparison, even Charlotte's bench has been better, and you heard, again, Rick Bennell talking about Tony Parker's impact. If you're going up against that, that bench for Indiana without Tony Parker, yeah, it doesn't spell it doesn't spell anything positive for the show. Not, not at all. And then Shelvin Mack coming in, and I felt bad for Shelvin <laughs> Mack because he's literally just come in and it's like, wait, what? I get real significant minutes in the at least in the first half, and he did, and he didn't do well. And but the problem was like nobody on that bench did. No, well. no, they didn't. No. Shelvin did not have a good debut, but to save him, nobody on the bench played well. Malik Monk, after giving us some consistency, been two bad games from him in a row. Ten minutes, not getting in the rotation a whole lot. But Kemba still a beast. Yeah, Kemba was still literally the only reason that game was close for a large portion of that game, and then. Like I give him credit for going up and getting as many easy buckets as they did because that starting five did work in mm-hmm. the third quarter. And they had to clean up a lot of the bench's mess. Stop me if you've heard that one before. <laughs> not not as much this year, but certainly the last two years. You could say that after every single basketball Yeah, game it was Groundhog's Day. Absolutely. So we appreciate you guys joining us here on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Lockdown Hornets. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcast. Just search Lockdown Hornets. We'll be back with you tomorrow.